Thank you, Michelle. Thank you guys for helping lead us today and sharing that beautiful song. What a wonderful uh, phrase, let it be Jesus. And, uh, you know, if there's one thing to be said, then I believe that's the thing to say, let it be Jesus. You know, Paul, that he understood that and that that was the, really the essence of his ministry, that it was all about him, all about Christ and uh, him crucified. Today, I want to invite your attention to the book of Mark, the book, book of Mark in chapter number one. Uh, for everyone in the balcony, I have not even spoken to you one word. So welcome uh, to Trace Creek Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here today. And uh, we hope that you found God's people to be uh, receptive and loving and warm today uh, to you. And uh, we're just very glad that you've chosen to spend this day with us and hope that you'll come back and be a part of our service again soon. And more than just a part of our service, we want you to come be a part of who we are and what God is doing in our hearts and lives here, here at Trace Creek. Uh, today in Mark chapter number one, we'll be just really giving an introduction, an introduction to this gospel uh, that we're going to be going through on Sunday mornings uh, here for several weeks. And uh, it's going to be a great time, not because I'm doing the preaching, but because the gospel of Mark is a wonderful and beautiful book that I'm always blessed by any time that I'm able to read from it uh, or to preach from it. So today, uh, we're going to simply read one verse, Mark 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do lift this moment in time. We lift it up to you. And God, we pray that you would be honored and glorified. Lord, that Jesus Christ, Lord, that throughout uh, the preaching and the study of this wonderful book, God, that Jesus Christ, that he would be lifted up and that we would see him uh, for who he is, God. And Lord, that he would be big in our hearts and lives. And Lord, that it would better uh, enable us to live out this life of faith. And Lord, for some who may not know Jesus Christ in a personal way, never had forgiveness of their sins, Lord God. I pray that through uh, this time in this book, Lord, that your spirit would draw them, draw them to you, and Lord, draw them to salvation as only he can do. Father, for the needs among us today, God, I pray for grace and strength. Lord, I pray for help in our time of trouble. Lord, I pray for a calmness, Lord, just to, just to radiate in our hearts and lives today. There's some here today they're carrying huge burdens and weights, Lord to God. I pray, Lord, that you'd be the burden bearer right now for them. And Lord, the things that Satan puts in our mind to distract us this morning. God, I pray that you would captivate our thoughts, God. Lord, we need to hear from you. God, we don't need to hear anything else from Satan. We need to hear from you today. And Lord, that's our prayer. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this book... Uh, entitled Mark, or maybe uh, your, your Bible may say uh, the gospel according to Mark, that it is the shortest of the gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that it is the shortest uh, of the gospels that we see presenting the life of Jesus Christ. It really only covers the last three and a half years of the life of Jesus. And that's all that it covers, doesn't give anything before that. 
And then one third of this book is given to the last week of Jesus' life. And so Mark is kind of unique uh, in the canon of Scripture in, in that regard. But right from the beginning, he starts this really packed with action. As we see the introduction of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, and we see a wild man preacher by the name of John the Baptist uh, come on the scene. And that definitely he is one action-packed dude. There's no doubt about it. And so this is a very fast-moving uh, book as it talks about all that Jesus came to do. And particularly, it talks about Jesus and his public ministry. And the, really, that's what Mo, that Mark, that he focuses on that public aspect of the ministry of Jesus. He's really more concerned about his works than he is even his words. Because in this gospel that he presents us with 18 miracles that Jesus does, but he only gives four parables that Jesus taught. So it's kind of, kind of neat in that aspect. Something that I remember discussing uh, maybe uh, last quarter or the quarter before that in Sunday school is the word that is used often immediately. Immediately. And, and that's a very important word as well. Or maybe you have a translation that says straightway. Uh, but it just really uh, intensifies uh, what's going on in the storyline of this book. It gives us a sense of urgency and it gives us really a sense of action that there is really always something very actively uh, going on in this book of Mark. So as you yourself, as you take time in your personal life to read through this book, as we study through this book, uh, make it a point to, to notice uh, those words such as immediately and straightforward, those sorts of things, as it helps us to understand uh, the intensity by which he writes this. Now, it seems, and we'll talk about this later, that Gentiles... Uh, they are his primary audience, that this isn't written primarily for Jews, but to Gentiles like me and like you are. And here we'll see that really it was written to uh, those there in the area of Rome, the Romans. But because it was written to Gentiles, unlike the other Gospels, there doesn't seem to be a need to go in to his lineage. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a need to go into the Old Testament law, uh, those sorts of things as we go through this Gospel, that these are, these are Romans, that these are are Gentiles, that they, they don't know anything about Jewish pedigree, they don't know anything about the Old Testament prophets and what they had to say. So Mark, he gets down, he cuts to the chase, and he tells them and wants them to know uh, the things that he feels like are most important about Jesus. They need a clear picture of Jesus. And friend, that's the bottom line, that each and every one of us, that we need to have a clear picture of who Jesus really is. And if you and I will have that clarity on who Jesus is, then it will take care of a lot of the other issues of our lives. Life. And so Mark, that he felt certain about that as he talked about Jesus. You know, the Roman way, if we know anything, 
about history, if we know anything about what took place, even in the historical aspect of the canon of Scripture, we know that Rome was all about power, was all about might. That spoke to them, power and might. And so Mark, as he demonstrates through the pen that Jesus, that he was a man of power and that he was a man of great might, that he had power over disease, that he had power over death, that he had power over demons, he had power over the devil himself. And Rome, if these Romans, these Gentiles, if they appreciated and they wanted to see power, Mark was going to show them power through the person of Jesus Christ and maybe you're here today and maybe you appreciate power maybe that the church and maybe religion has never done one thing for you but let me tell you if the church and religion hasn't done one thing to ever impress you let me tell you about this man named Jesus when you see his power when you see his might when you see his greatness and friend you'll be impressed by the Son of God that's what Mark intended to do as he talked about Jesus Christ. And not only does he so, show Jesus in, in great power, that he shows Jesus as a great servant. Right. A great servant. It's one of the great themes that run through the book of Mark is that Jesus, that he is the very Son of God, that he could have come in might, he could have come in majesty, but he came in lowliness, he came in weakness, and he came to serve. And one of the great verses found in chapter 10, for the Son of Man came not to be ministered into, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. One of the great verses that you'll find in this glorious gospel speaks of the servitude and servanthood of Jesus Christ. Now for a moment about the author. A moment about the author. Now we know this as the book of Mark. Probably your Bible uh, shows this uh, as you know the gospel of Mark or, or Mark or whatever. But according to uh, this text of Scripture that the, the book itself it gives no credit to any author. The book itself explicitly gives no credit to any author. However, uh, I believe that if you were to do the homework that you would discover from the earliest of discussions that church history has always attributed this book to Mark or you may know him better as John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, the uh, protege of, of Paul and of Peter himself. And as far back as 110 AD, uh, Papias is known to have written Mark, who was the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately all that he remembered, whether of sayings or doings of Christ. And so as far back as 110 that we have written record of people attributing uh, this book uh, to John Mark. And then early church fathers, his origin and others, that they always attribute this uh, to Mark himself. Now, as I mentioned Mark, we may be a little fuzzy, but maybe when I said John Mark, maybe it became a little bit more clear to you uh, as that he was the great topic of division there in Acts chapter 13 between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, that, you know, 
Paul and Barnabas, the church had, had uh, set them on to go on their great missionary, first missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas, I believe that he, uh, that his cousin uh, was obviously adhered to him and that he and Paul took uh, Barnabas along with them and they had no longer then got going real good. And, uh, and then we see that John Mark, he decides that he needs to go home. And uh, Paul, you know, the, the attitude and the disposition of Paul, that he was, he was a bull, that he was going forward. That's just what he was going to do. And Barnabas, a little bit more on the compassionate side. And so uh, when John Mark went home, they did their thing, came back. When it came time for their second journey, uh, that Barnabas wanted to take John Mark again. Paul wasn't having it. He wasn't going to do it. He didn't care. He didn't care who he made mad. He wasn't going. And so there, the two great giants of the faith, Paul and Barnabas, that they uh, they come to a disagreement, and that that Barnabas that he took uh, John Mark, he put, took Mark, and then that Paul that he took Silas, and they went their own ways. But we do know. Uh, that later on, maybe some 10 or 15 years later, uh, that we see them again working hand in hand and heart and heart. So this John, this Mark is the John Mark uh, that we see there in the book of Acts and that we see somewhat in a negative light, uh, but we see also how that God worked in his life and not only in his life, that God worked in Paul's life and in Barnabas as, as well to accomplish uh, his task. Now, uh, John Mark was apparently a young man, a young man during the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then the uh, ministry of Jesus and his uh, disciples there. And it, through the scripture we see that it reveals that John's mother... Uh, apparently a widow, uh, had, had some uh, level of, of, of wealth in that she had a large gathering place uh, there at her house. And, and around her uh, house there were some great events uh, that probably took place there, possibly the site of the Last Supper. Uh, possibly there, uh, we, you know, we can't say that 100%, but we can say with some uh, relative certainty that that, that, was, the, that was the case. Uh, the disciples gathered there in Acts chapter 2 at the time of Pentecost. And then remember when Peter was miraculously uh, loose from jail uh, there, that he went to her house. And so John Mark, that he was brought up, he was brought up with many uh, great advantages uh, in his life of seeing and knowing and doing uh, the, the ministry and the life of the early church and the disciples and, and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So it's very interesting when you think about the background that John Mark had. Now, as we think about uh, he being the author, and I said that the book gives no internal, uh, in, in internal uh, witness to the fact of who uh, the author was. And really, 
uh, as far as internal witness that most people uh, point to chapter 14, 51 and 52 there in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested there. And the Bible says this, And there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. And the young young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. That many people believe that this is just uh, John Mark's uh, signature uh, upon this book. That he was that young man uh, that was there that day and that ended up fleeing uh, naked because they had taken clothes there. And so that's an interesting little mark upon this text of Scripture. So we have, that we have settled the fact that John Mark, Mark was in the mix of some of the most significant events in church history and beyond church history that some of the most significant events in world history that John Mark himself was privy uh, to many of those incidences uh, that happened that he was a part deeply rooted, deeply rooted in the fledgling church, deeply rooted in the first uh, first generation of Christ followers that there were. It's interesting uh, how that he was able to hang out with some of the greatest heavyweights of all time. When you think that he was closely associated with Barnabas, that he was closely associated with Paul, and closely associated with Peter, man, what a, what a resume this dude had. As you think about All that God had allowed him to experience, all that God had allowed him to uh, be encouraged by and to be educated by, it was a wonderful thing. And there in 1 Peter, that Peter himself, that he says, and Marcus my son. And most people would have no uh, qualms of the fact that this is Mark, John Mark, and that Peter himself... Uh, that he considered him his own son in the faith. So uh, he may have, uh, in some way, he may have come to Christ under Peter's preaching, even maybe even there at Pentecost that day. Uh, we don't know that, but, but every indication was that he came to faith in Christ through the ministry and through the preaching of Peter himself. Now, as I mentioned who... Uh, Peter, as John Mark was in the, in the mix of the rift uh, between Paul and Barnabas. I think that as we uh, consider that, that we always must go back, we must rewind, we, we must rethink uh, that whole situation and, and cause us uh, to, to know that in, especially in the lives of young people, that sometimes they aren't where we think they should be. They're not as committed as we think they should be. That they don't understand the big picture like we think they should. And sometimes that I, that we, that we get frustrated, we get disgusted and say they're never going to amount to anything. What is this world coming to? This next generation, they're not going to make it. Right? We say that, don't we? We say all those things. But I think as we look at the life of John Mark, that we are to be encouraged 
that we as God's people, that we take the attitude of a Barnabas, that we not give up on those that we think, well, I just don't know if they're going to make it. Well, let me tell you, I guarantee you they're not going to make it if you give up on them. If you want to guarantee they don't make it, give up on them. And I guarantee you, you'll be right. Your prediction will come true. But if we have the attitude of a Barnabas and that we take those under our wing, that we keep encouraging them, that we keep showing them, that we keep having some faith in them, then I believe that we'll see more and more of these young people become men and women of God that will take their place, that will eventually take their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want Trace Creek Church to never be a church that counts the young people out, who discourages them, says, oh, you're not going to count to nothing, that we would encourage them, that we would take them under our wing. They would show them the way and that we would say, hey, we believe in you and believe God's got great things in store for you. And that, I believe that's the attitude uh, that God will bless in, in our personal lives and that God will bless in other people's lives and that God will bless in the ministry of the church. And you and I, as us, as I you know, I'm now, you know, I'm kind of middle ish you know, uh, that sort of thing. And, and that, that's kind of hard to say, but it, it's, it's true. Uh, we, we, we've got to be aware. We've got to be aware that we must be concerned for the next generation. We must be concerned for, for the teens. We must be concerned for the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings and the single digits that we must be more concerned for those that are coming up because the old folks were dying out. There must be the young generation to come in the church and stand up and to, and to make their lives count. And it's going to be as you and I, as we continue to encourage them and see the value that they have as God sees it. All right? So uh, we see that. We've always got to think about that when we think about uh, Mark and, and John Mark, who he is as a person. Now, uh, I want to move on to, to the date, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because for, for you and I, it may not have mean that much, but just kind of set it in context and just spend a minute about it. Really, when you study this out, most uh, theologians and historians, that they'll say that we have about a 10-year window of time that most people would say that this book was written in, in the late 50s AD to the late 60s uh, AD, and Excuse me, there's, there's discussion about that, what, needs, what that looks like, but apparently it was before the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, so we can set that as a boundary on the far extreme and know that it happened before then. Uh, we don't know if it happened before or after the, the martyrdom of, of Peter, which was in 64 to 68 uh, AD. Uh, so we, we know that uh, it's in that range. Now, uh, as you <clears throat> think about that debate, for the first, uh, first 1,800 years uh, of, of, the, of the church and Christian history, uh, most, most would tend to believe uh, that, that Mark uh, was, was the later of, of the Gospels, especially the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, that it was the later of those three Gospels. Uh, 
Uh, but since 1800 and on uh, to present day, there's been more of a, a swing toward it being maybe the first gospel. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know enough to talk about all that, to be quite frank with you, all right? But, but I, you know, there's some discussion about that but, and many reasons as to why that people believe uh, what they do, but you know it was a uh, you know it was a, it, one way or the other. Whether it was written third or first or fourth of the Gospels, in many ways it's immaterial. But I think this is the this is really the the nitty gritty of why they they discuss this, and I want to share it with you just so that you'll know, is that that it was Mark. The question is, was Mark the source, a major source, for? Matthew and Luke's gospel. That, that's the question that they get at. Because, because nine, I think it, I read that 90%, 90% of Mark is contained in, in, the, in those other two gospels. So I think I read, and you can, you can count when you get home, there's like 960 or 990 verses in the book of Mark. And some 900 of those 990 or 90% of those are found in the other two Gospels. So in, 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 in some form or fashion. So they, may, they think maybe this, was the, maybe this was part of their source even as, as they penned what they penned. And so I don't know about all that. But if you're into trivia, that may help you someday. I don't know. But it's kind of interesting just to think about, you know, that they, uh, that, that they had... Uh, you know, those things are important to those who get down uh, to the nitty-gritty of understanding Scripture. Now, for the people and the purpose, for the people and the purpose, and I kind of alluded uh, to this in, in the general opening statement here, that the church has, has believed throughout the course of time, and I believe that it becomes evident through this text of Scripture uh, that this was written. It was written to Gentiles. It was written in Rome to Romans. In Rome to Romans. Now, there's little indicators in this text that helps us to understand that. There's, uh, there's phrases like, and being interpreted. As he uses as he uses the, the, the Jews' native tongue, as he puts that out in Scripture, then he comes through and he says, being interpreted. So he's telling people who don't have a clue of what that means. So it's probably Gentile people that he's trying to explain what Jesus had just said. And he goes on to talk about Jewish customs and their, their washing and their ceremony. He says, and they do that according to the traditions of the elders. Now, he wouldn't have to say that if he was writing this to Jewish people, correct? No. So he's writing this to people like me and you who have no understanding, really, of what their traditions were and what they were not. So Gentiles, Romans, they would need that sort of explanation. In this book, from time to time, he uses some Latin phrases, Latin words that, would not be, uh, that they would not be familiar with. And so, uh, you know, again, it's something that, you know, the Jews, they wouldn't be using those Latin words. So only people who are in a Gentile background, Rome, Romans, that they would know that. And one other great indicator is that Mark that he uses the Roman way of telling time. 
And sometimes people get all discombobulated about that when they start reading and comparing the Gospels. But you know that Mark, that he is presenting time through a Roman world and not through the Jewish way of telling time. And so there's another little indicator that this was written in a different way. Now, he's also, uh, he also appears to be writing to people who are already Christian or who at the least have had some uh, teaching and have been exposed to uh, Christian doctrine and to, and to uh, Christian ways. As he talks about baptism and he talks about the, the Holy Spirit and things such as that and gives no real explanation of that. And so they must have some foundational uh, understanding of their own when it comes to those things. Now, uh, we know from our study of Romans just that we just wrapped up not too long ago uh, that, that Rome itself and the church, the Christians there, as he, uh, Paul goes and he visits that church, that we don't know of any uh, missionary journey of, of one who went and founded uh, that church there. And so we come to understand that more than likely the Christians and the church uh, that was there in Rome came from believers who first heard of Christ and accepted him at Pentecost and then they made their way back to Rome and there they, they came together and as they shared the faith that the church began to grow. But their, their origin, I think, would have to be traced back to those that were saved on the day of Pentecost under the preaching of Peter, all right? And so they come back and that they join together as, as the church. And so it's uh, interesting, we'll get back around uh, to that, the fact that they were many foundationally, these foundational members and people of this church were saved because of the preaching of Peter. Now, being a Christian, being a Christian in the Roman world was not a cakewalk, okay? And so you need to know that, that's important for what uh, Mark's purposes are as he is writing this text of Scripture. That a real Christian in a Roman world would stick out. All right? And so let me say that today, a real Christian in the world in which we live will stick out. And so that we can find some very uh, close similarities in the context in which these people lived, in the context that you and I live today, that we as believers in this Roman world that we live in, that you and I, that we are going to stick out, that we are not going to look the same as everybody else. And because these people, they stuck out, they would eventually be singled out and eventually be persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, there's been quite a bit in the uh, media as of late. Uh, I believe it is our Secretary of State. Uh, I could be mistaken on who the person is. But he recently, in the last few days, he spoke in, in Nashville, I believe it was. And one of his main topics... Uh, was religious liberty around the world. And uh, in one of the 
the latest uh, UN meetings, uh, that's been something that uh, that the United States has brought out religious liberty around the world, and and because. Uh, I think the number that I read was about 90% of the world's population does not have religious liberty. And, and, and you and I both know that here we are uh, trumpeting uh, religious liberty, and, and now uh, we've got a presidential candidate who said that he's going to take away uh, the tax exemption of the churches if they preach against homosexuality like the Bible says. And so uh, we, we, we trumpet that, but we need to be careful that we protect it in our own backyard as well, okay? And so uh, there, there's going to be a cost that, that we, we stand up against the things that are right, but you, you know and I know that according to the, the Word of God that there's a good likelihood that we're going to end up paying a price for following Jesus Christ, all right? And, and we, we enjoy what we do today, and I thank God for it, but there may come a time when we don't have what we presently enjoy and that we will, uh, that we will be different from the world. We will stand out and then that we will uh, be singled out and then we'll be persecuted uh, because of the gospel and for, for clinging to the truth uh, of what it teaches us. And so for those people, those are the people that Mark was writing to. And I think that it is relevant today, if there's ever been a time that it's relevant, I believe that Mark is relevant today as we think about uh, being uh, persecuted for the gospel and being willing to stand for the things that are good and right and, and line up with the Word of God. So Mark was led by the Holy Spirit. I always want to emphasize that. That every book, every sentence, every word, every bit of this book that you hold in your hand, that it comes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. That He works through human men to pen the words of God, the Holy Spirit, that He does that. He did that through Mark, and He did that to a people that were struggling he did that to a people uh, that were pr pressed in, that they were overwhelmed, uh, that they were uh, going through battle after battle because of their faith in Christ. So you and I today, when we have our problems, when we face our opposition, and we look at our life and say, wow, it's tough being a Christian in 2019. Friend, these people that Mark was writing to, they said with certainty, and they knew it very well, that it was tough being a Christian in A.D. 67. And so you and I, that we can relate this isn't an unrelatable, archaic book. But this is a relevant, viable book for me and for you. And it has application. It has things that we need to take into our lives. And how are we going to get through? How are we going to stand? How are we going to keep pressing on when we have a clear view of Jesus? That's what Paul did. Paul kept his eyes on Jesus. You know, we can, we can do a lot of great things, and there's a, great, a lot of great studies, a lot of great uh, 
you know, avenues that we can approach the Word of God, and it's all God's Word. It's all valuable from cover to cover. But if there's anything that you and I that we need to take home today is keep our eyes on Jesus. That's it. Do that. Keep our eye on Jesus. So, but why? Because we all live in our own Rome. You live in your own Rome, and I live in my own Rome. And there's plenty of things that tempt me to take my eyes off Jesus and want to give in and want to quit and want to call time out, want to crawl in the dugout, want to get on the injured reserve list, all that stuff. But we must, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. Paul knew that. Mark, Mark knew that. He knew he needed to keep his eyes on Jesus. I want to talk about the source real quick. I said the church at Rome. I said the church at Rome was mostly and originally made up of those who were converted by the preaching of Peter at Pentecost. Now, listen up. It it has been said that this book could be easily entitled The Gospel of Peter. I didn't really give a lot of thought to that, honestly, before I started Uh, studying and giving thought to this text not because that anyone thinks that Peter wrote this book that's not the reason why that they think it could be entitled that that's not it but they believe that it could be entitled that because of the significant influence that Peter had upon Mark and his understanding of who Christ was you see that as he as he was one of the protégés of Peter, that he was a son in the faith to this great rock uh, by the name of Peter, that it seems as though that Mark, that he absorbed everything that he had heard Peter say, every sermon that he had heard Peter preach, every time that Peter gave a personal example of what Jesus did, it's like that Mark, that he took it in for himself and that he he created his own uh, experience with Christ, even through what Peter uh, knew and what Peter had experienced firsthand with Jesus. And so I think with it's interesting how that These people who were living in Rome, who had the foundationally that this church had been saved under the preaching and the ministry of Peter, that now that God leads Mark, Mark, he could have chosen anybody else, but God chose Mark who was the understudy, an understudy of Peter, who significantly influenced his writing so that these people, when the people in Rome read the book of Mark, they knew that this was what happened through the life and through the eyes of Peter. Now, who would have had the most influence in these believers' lives? Peter would. Because, you tell me, the person that was preaching the gospel when you got saved, they will forever have a place in your heart. 
And so I believe that is true here. These people, that they had a love and an attachment for Peter. Therefore, when Mark was led to pen this gospel, the, really a gospel that was heavily, heavily influenced by the life and the ministry and the preaching and teaching of Peter, that God put it there in that church so that it could get the most impact for them as believers. I think God is awesome. Only God can do that stuff. Only God can connect those dots. That is cool. Man, y'all aren't as excited about that as I am. But just let me enjoy it, okay? It's good when you see the handiwork of God and that God's working around and God's doing his business in ways that, that human instrumentality could never accomplish that God can accomplish. And you know what? I believe that God still does those things. In the ways that maybe you need to hear the voice of God, that God speaks to you. That you see things in life, that God sends people your way. That you just happen to be paying attention at the right time during the preacher's sermon. And God ministers to us individually in that sort of way. Now as we wrap it up today, there's four or five different messages that are really going to come through in this text, in this book of the Bible. Number one, that we read today, that Jesus Christ, he's the Son of God. You're going to see that theme repeated over and over and over again. Because that's a theme that must be repeated over and over and over again. That it is foundational. It's foundational to Christianity. It's foundational to your salvation and our salvation. That we know that Jesus Christ, that He is the very God Himself that's come in flesh to live among us. And that it, as He has done that, that He came to bring salvation for me and for you. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then that Jesus Christ, as I mentioned earlier, He came as a servant. You see that the world, the world doesn't look for a Savior in a servant. The world looks for a Savior in a, in a warrior, in a king, in a president. That's what humanity tends to look for a Savior in. And so people in Jesus' day and people in 2019 that we tend to look right past Jesus Christ. But Mark, that he highlights that Jesus came just as it was predicted that Jesus came, that this time when he came, that he came as a servant. It's the next time that he comes back. When he'll come as a warrior. Then he'll come as a king. When he'll come as the Lord of Lords. But for now, he come as a servant. And I think it's a great reminder that Jesus, that he does set a great example for us. If we want to be great. If we want to be great. Then we'll make ourselves low. And what a beautiful illustration that is in our life that is still true today. We'll never be great by trying to make ourselves big. We'll be great when we make ourselves small. And that, that carries over in 
in church life. It carries over into our family life. It carries over into friendship relationships. Servanthood's the way to go. Thirdly, we're going to see discipleship. Discipleship. Because as I said, that this was really, much, as it, much of this is written through the experience of Peter. Peter, who was as thick-headed as you and I are. Peter, that he witnessed for himself what so many things that Jesus tried to teach them and show them, and yet it never sunk in. Not until after the resurrection did many of the things that Jesus said ever start to make sense. You know, and in your life and in my life, sometimes we struggle to make sense of the Word of God. Say, so we read it, and we, man, I don't, I don't get all that, I think I'm going to put it up. There's no need in me doing that anymore. But I think as we look in this text of Scripture, in this Gospel of Mark, that through the eyes of a thick-skulled preacher by the name of Peter, that we understand that God desires for not for us to live in the dark, spiritually speaking, but God desires for us to see what He's doing and what God wants to do in and through our hearts and lives. Discipleship is... Not just something that John Mark got from Peter, was it? Remember John Mark's story? <laughs> that John Mark, as a young man, as an immature person, whether he was a teen, whether he was in his 20s or whatever, is really immaterial. But he knows and he went back to a time in his own life when he was spiritually immature. He didn't, he didn't have the grounding he wasn't as grounded, he wasn't as solid, he wasn't as ready as he thought he was. Can I get a witness on that? Probably every one of us in our life, that we, and probably right now, I'm much more spiritual, I'm much more mature, I'm much more grounded in my mind than I am my heart. But John Mark, that he knew the value of discipleship and people coming to and growing and growing and growing in their faith. Thank God that you're not going to stay where you're at if you stick in this book, but you're going to keep growing, you're going to keep maturing, you're going to get your feet under you, and you're going to be able to stand when life gets tough, when the winds blow and the waves knock you down. You're going to be able to get up again. You're going to be able to Keep trucking because you're growing. You're not where you used to be. You know, I was talking to somebody last night. And you know, we're, we're not where we ought to be. Thank God, not where we used to be. Amen? Yes. Discipleship. And we'll keep growing in Him. Four, we're going to see miracles. This gospel's filled up. I said there was 18 18 different accounts of miracles. The first 11 chapters, those first 11 chapters, up until the time of that last week in Jerusalem, each chapter contains a miracle. We see the power of God. I think it should give us hope. Some of you need a miracle today. You need God to do something supernatural in your life. Is God still able to do that? Yes, sir. He absolutely is. 
I, don't, I can't set boundaries on God. God's an able God. God can do what He wants to do, when He wants to do it, how He wants to do it. He's able. And so we're going to see the power of God for the situations of your life. You may, you may need to be reminded that God is powerful enough for whatever comes your way. That God is that powerful. Now, lastly, this is a book that speaks of us sharing our faith, speaks of sharing the gospel, speaks of evangelism, that through this book you see that Jesus, that he broke through all the natural barriers that people have for sharing the gospel, whether it be uh, religion or whether it be nationality, uh, whether you know, it be social status, whatever it is, that Jesus is in the business of breaking down those walls and those barriers and intentionally sharing the gospel with people, people that he could have avoided, but Jesus that he chose to pursue them and thereby sets a great example for me and a great example for you that we be people that have a heart for lost people lost people, before I choke and die up here, lost people uh, all around us and that we know that God has the ability to work in our lives, to, to work over, work through, work however, to break down those barriers that, that Satan wants to highlight those barriers. Oh, that can't be broke down. You'll never be able to do this. But we see that through Christ Jesus, that we're able to break down those barriers and successfully uh, share the gospel. Now, as I say successfully, that doesn't mean that every time we share the gospel that somebody's going to get saved. But what I mean is that we can successfully, by this, that we can share the gospel. And as we share the gospel that allows the Holy Spirit of God to take the gospel and to do the work that we can't do anyway we can't we haven't ever saved one person not going to save one person it's the Holy Spirit's work our job is to be able to share the gospel that's what Jesus did he showed his love he showed great love for all mankind as he broke down the barriers and he shared what true life really was all about. All right. Did y'all get all that? Mark's going to be a great book. God is going to use Mark in your life. I urge you, I plead with you, don't miss a Sunday. Say, Ronnie, that's going to be a lot of Sundays. Bingo. You got it. Don't miss a one. Don't miss. Don't miss allowing God that opportunity to take this gospel and speak to your heart. Let's pray together.